John 19 is where we're gonna be. So I remember when I was about nine or 10 years old, uh, my uh, family and I, we went to a wedding. My dad was a pastor, and so that means we got to go to lots and lots of weddings. And so I remember there being like a nine or 10-year-old kid, and I, I'm watching this like wedding kind of go down. And kind of at that phase of my life, everything about the wedding moment was kind of against who I was as a young guy. I remember, I remember sitting there, and I was in that season of life where it was kind of embarrassing to think about like standing up in front of a group of people and telling that group of people that you love a girl. Like, you know, I was kind of in a phase where it was like scary to have a girlfriend or admit you had a crush. And so here I am and I'm watching this guy go through the thing that I fear the most. He's up front, he's dressed like an idiot. He's sharing these vows that are way sappy. He's crying all the way through it, you know. He gives the ring and then there's that moment where he, he kisses this girl in front of everybody, his wife, you know, he kisses her. And I'm like, man, that's got to be the, the most embarrassing moment of the human experience. Like. <laughs> If I can just survive that one day, I'll be okay. And so I remember we, we leave the wedding and I'm talking with my mom about it. And I, I said, that seems so embarrassing. And she made a statement that has stuck with me all these years. She says, Dave, there will, there will come a moment in your life where your love for someone will be stronger than your fear of everyone else. There'll be this moment when your love for someone will be stronger than your fear of everybody else. And it's not that the fear's gonna go away, it's just that all of a sudden, this love is going to so overcome those fears. And she said, believe it or not, you'll have the ability to do that. Seven years go by, and I remember I was sitting in the DMV with my dad waiting to, to take the test for my license. I was sitting there in the midst of government efficiency, you know, and so there's like a 10 hour wait. And I, I'm talking to my dad about Jesus because I'd been in this place where I was just wrestling with some of the questions about I believe in Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. And I have these questions about baptism and all this stuff. And I remember in so many ways that conversation in the DMV was so similar to the conversation in the church after the wedding. Because I'm telling my dad, I'm like, Dad, I've, I've got this like longing to, to follow Jesus. I have this longing to commit my life to him, but I'm just so scared of what everybody's going to think. I was, I was scared of what my friends were going to think about it. I was scared of what people at church were gonna think about it, which sounds crazy, but I, you know, I was the pastor's kid, and so I was scared that some people would think that I waited too long to give my life to Jesus. I was scared that some people would think that I had done this too early, and my life was just like driven by fear. And it was there in the DMV that my, my dad said something very similar to what my mom had said seven years earlier outside of the wedding. He said, Dave, it's not that the fear of following Jesus goes away, there's just this moment when your love for someone is stronger than your fear of everyone. And I believe that the, the paintbrush that the devil likes to paint with is the paintbrush of fear. The enemy loves to just kind of keep us in hiding. He loves to keep us in these places sequestered by the fear of what everybody thinks. But there's this moment when the love of God is like shed in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to see Jesus as he actually is. And the overcoming love of God is stronger than any fear that we could ever imagine facing. And here's what I'm, I'm convinced of is the only thing more powerful in all of planet Earth than fear is love. And that the only thing that calls us out of hiding when it comes to walking with Jesus is the unshakable, incomparable love of God. That, that the love of God begins to move us from where we are to where it is that God has called us to be. You know, one of my favorite stories in all the gospels is the story of Nicodemus, and I relate to his story on so many kind of different levels. You know, when we first meet Nicodemus in the gospel of John, um, he is this guy who is so confident in his own goodness but all of a sudden, his confidence in his own goodness begins to, to yield to his curiosity about the person of Jesus. He sees Jesus teaching. He sees Jesus healing. He sees the love of Jesus being poured out. And all of a sudden, Nicodemus isn't so confident that he's in good standing with God anymore. 
And so I love this as his confidence begins to yield to this place of curiosity. He doesn't step out in this like moment of courage. He doesn't step out and sell all of his possessions and like give it to the poor. He doesn't get baptized in front of 10,000 people. He doesn't make this declaration of faith. Like his curiosity leads him into this conversation with Jesus in the middle of the night. And I'm not gonna read the whole story to you right now, but I'll just give you the cliff notes. The, the whole journey of Nicodemus, the first few years of his journey with Jesus was not marked by bravery. It wasn't marked by faith or courage. The beginning of his journey was marked by fear. You know, in John chapter three, we're literally told that Nicodemus, in the midst of his curiosity about Jesus, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Like, Nicodemus didn't want his wife to know that he was going to talk to Jesus, didn't want his friends or his neighbors or his coworkers. In the middle of the night, he sneaks out of bed like he's getting food out of the refrigerator. He goes and he finds Jesus and says, hey, I want to just talk with you. I want to talk with you about what's going on. And that first interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, wasn't this moment of unbelievable faith. It was a moment that was marked by fear. John says that Nicodemus came looking for Jesus in the middle of the night. And I relate to being there. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe that's where you are right now, these moments where the idea of walking with Jesus, like in the personal spaces of your life, it feels so good and so rich and so true. But the moment that personal faith has to venture into public spaces, it's just terrifying. His story starts in this place of fear. You get to John chapter seven, a couple of years later, he's there with his closest friends. And if you know anything about Nicodemus, his friends, you should go back and read the gospels. They were not too keen on Jesus. These guys were plotting to actually have Jesus assassinated. And so Nicodemus is there in the midst of this conversation where they're trying to figure out how to bring Jesus down. And Nicodemus, this guy whose faith is like growing privately in his life is beginning to bubble up. He's not marked by this moment of courage. He doesn't like stand up for Jesus in this like courageous, incredible way. He doesn't give a sermon. He doesn't refute the heretics. What does Nicodemus do? He asks a question. His friends shut him down with sarcasm and he doesn't say another word. Just utterly, utterly shaken by fear. And the whole far, first part of his journey is not this journey of unbelievable faith, it's a journey of private faith that is being held in check by the fear of other people. But then there's this moment where the whole story begins to change, John chapter 19, and this is what I want us to look at for just a few moments together this morning. The whole story just, just begins to kind of turn on its head, and all of a sudden, love is going to become stronger than fear. Here's the backdrop of John 19. Jesus has just been killed Jesus, the son of God, he's lived a perfect life. He's just died for the sins of the world and his death is so fresh that his body is hanging on the cross because none of his friends were courageous enough to stick around and take his body down. And so it's a gruesome moment. Jesus is hanging there on the cross. He is dead. He will be dead for three days until God raises him from the dead. But he's hanging there dead on the cross and this is where Nicodemus comes back into the picture. Look at John chapter 19, verse 38. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a friend of Nicodemus, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, I want you to see what's going on here for just a moment. This was not just any old question. This wasn't just a casual moment where he strolls into Pilate's office. Pilate was the one that had sentenced Jesus to death. And Joseph says, I wanna go deal face to face with the guy that just sentenced my leader to death. I mean, this is an unbelievably courageous moment. And he walks in and he says, hey, Pilate, I want the body of Jesus. Keep going, verse 38. Now, Joseph, listen to this, was a disciple of Jesus, but he was a disciple, what? Secretly. 
his disciples secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. And he was accompanied by who? Come on, church. Who was he accompanied by? Come on, say it out loud. Who was he accompanied by? Nicodemus. And look at this. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. The, the defining mark of Nicodemus' life up to this point was not his faith, but his fear. John says, this is the guy that came to Jesus in the middle of the night, in the, the place of fear. And now here he is with Joseph. They're at the body of Jesus hanging on the cross. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe and 75 pounds worth of spices. I don't know when's the last time you carried 75 pounds of anything anywhere. But this guy who had been driven by fear, who is living in hiding, comes out of his house with a purpose. And he's walking down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem towards the outskirts of the city where Jesus was hanging like a common criminal and Nicodemus knew exactly what it was that he's getting ready to get into. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them, they wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And then they buried Jesus in the tomb where he would lay for three days. And I love this, this moment, this story as it unfolds. You know, we've seen this picture over and over and over of Nicodemus' life. He's, he's this guy whose life was marked by fear. He had this private faith and this public fear. But all of a sudden, something is going to happen in his life, and that story is going to be reversed. And here's what I want you to notice. When John describes Joseph and Nicodemus, he describes them as people who have genuine faith. He says, these were disciples of Jesus. He doesn't question their discipleship. He doesn't question their love. He doesn't question their faith. John doesn't say, Joseph thought he was a disciple. Nicodemus thought he loved Jesus. That's not, that's not what he says. He says, these guys were disciples. Their faith was genuine but their faith had been inhibited by fear. The faith was genuine, but the faith had been inhibited. It had been held in check by fear. But all of a sudden, there's this, this moment where fear takes a second place seat to love. And all of a sudden, they no longer worry about their reputations. They no longer worry about the fact that this will probably cost them their jobs and their life. They are aligning themselves with the enemy of the state. They literally walk to the cross of Jesus. They wrap their arms around his bloody body and they say, we don't care who sees us with him. We're with this guy. And all week long, I was just wrestling with this, this moment because I think this is the journey that all of us have to go on. There are these places in life where I believe faith often bubbles up in the private realms and the hidden realms and the secret places of our hearts. But there are these moments where faith, if it is genuine, love, if it is genuine, can no longer be contained in the secret places. And all of a sudden, it begins to bubble out. And I just kept asking myself all question, what was it after all those years that all of a sudden allowed Nicodemus and allowed Joseph to take that step of faith into the public realm? And the answer is love. The answer is love because the only thing stronger than fear is love. Now, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this so clearly. It was not their love for Jesus that brought them out of hiding. I don't believe it was their love for Jesus that brought them out of hiding. I believe it was Jesus' love for them that brought them out of hiding. 
That it wasn't like all of a sudden Nicodemus went, man, I just, I love Jesus and I'm going to risk my life for it. I think it was as they saw Jesus, the son of God who lived a sinless life, hanging on a cross for the sins of humanity. As they saw the way that he prayed for his enemies, as they saw the way that he cared for his friends, as they saw the way that he loved the world, all of a sudden the words of John 3, 16 begin to go through their, through their hearts and through their minds. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in his son Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And all of a sudden they begin to see the love of God on full display. And it wasn't their love for Jesus that brought them out of hiding. It was his love for them that brought them out of hiding. 1 John 4, 18 says that it is the perfect love of God that drives out all fear. It's not our perfect love for God that drives out fear. No, it's God's perfect love for us that drives out fear. And there are these moments in our life Whereas we begin to fix our eyes upon the cross of Jesus, we begin to recognize who we actually are and who Jesus is. We begin to realize as we look at the gospel, and I hope you know this, that you are not as good as you think you are. It's the message of the gospel. As Jesus is laying there hanging, we're not as good as we think we are. That in this room, we are drug addicts and sex addicts. We are liars. We are filled with pride. We are gossips. We are self-centered. We are narcissistic. We are apathetic. And the gospel is this constant reminder that you didn't just need a cosmic life coach, but that you needed the son of God to come and to live and to die and to be raised from the dead for you. That you didn't need God to edit your life. You needed God to give you a new life. That you weren't spiritually apathetic, you were spiritually dead. And the gospel brings us face to face with the reality that we're not as good as we thought we were but face-to-face with the reality that Jesus is infinitely better than we could have ever dreamt up. It's this grand declaration that God's goodness is far more sufficient than your badness. And there's this moment where Nicodemus and Joseph begin to recognize what was hanging on the cross in front of them was a perfect reflection of God's infinite love for the depths of humanity. And it was not their love for him that brought them out of hiding. It was his love for them. And all of a sudden they went, we will be seen with this guy. We will hold on to his brutal body. We will walk him all the way to the grave and we don't care who sees it. I remember years ago being in India and I was uh, getting ready to do these baptisms. Kind of like the one that was being talked about on that video. And I remember sitting there in that moment and it was just this incredible uh, scene to watch unfold because in India, it's one thing to have faith in Jesus. It is another thing to declare your faith in Jesus and to be baptized publicly because in certain parts of the country, it will cost you gravely. And so before any of the people could get baptized, they had to fill out basically this waiver form like you do when you go to do something dangerous. You know, you fill out the form to say, we realize what's getting ready to happen. And I remember sitting there just watching as these men and these women would fill out these forms. Hey, we realize that to identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we realize that it's gonna cost us. It could cost us our homes, our jobs, our life, our health. And to just watch our Indian brothers and sisters with these smiles on their faces just filling out these forms. Hey, we realize what this will cost us and if it costs us more than this, we're still in. And I remember standing in that pond and just baptizing these people, and it was just this amazing moment. And I went, what brings people out of hiding? It's when the love of God <laughs> comes into our full, full view, into our sight. And I go, Romans chapter six says that baptism is that moment 
that we have, much like what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had. Baptism is that moment where we stand up in front of people and we're not just doing this because Jesus commanded us to do this. We're not just doing this because Jesus modeled this in his life, that we are stepping into this moment, as Romans 6 says, to be united with Jesus's death, to hold on to his dead body, to be united in Jesus's burial, to be in the tomb with him and to hold on to Jesus's resurrection to come out on the other side saying, hey, we've been dead to sin. We're now alive in Jesus. And at this moment, if it happens, if any of you should have the courage to come and be baptized, this moment when it happens is not a declaration of our goodness, it's a declaration of God's goodness. That this is not about something that we do for God. This is about our response to what God has done for us. Does that make sense? Like Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus resurrects, and this is us saying, we want to lay down and be raised in all that you've done, Jesus. And we don't care who sees it. We don't care, we don't care who knows it. And I believe that this moment comes and it's so often marked by fear and the fear doesn't just erase, but all of a sudden, the love that God has for you begins to take first place. And there's the courage to step. And so this morning, here, here's what I wanna invite you to do. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, if you believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, if you believe that Jesus Christ died a sinner's death, was raised on the third day, is seated in heavenly realms, and he'll come back to judge both the living and the dead. If you believe that Jesus loves you and has forgiven you, if you believe that Jesus has seen everything about you and he wants to make you new, then this is for you. And let nothing keep you. Don't let your fear of what this room will think. I know for some of you, you're scared to death of crowds and you're looking out going, this is terrifying. I go, this is the safest place in the world to be bold for Jesus. Can we, can we just all affirm that? Like, this is the safest place in the world to be bold for Jesus. Don't let your fear of what your family's gonna think. I was talking to a friend this week and when he was a little kid, his parents dedicated him to Jesus. But he's just been sensing that as a grown man, he, he's supposed to take a step of obedience. And he's like, I'm so scared what my family's gonna think about that. And I was just telling him, I said, do you know that when Jesus was a little kid, his parents took him to the temple and dedicated him to God? And then what did Jesus do when he was 30 years old? He brought to full circle what his parents had hoped for. I went, man, this isn't you dishonoring your family. This is you leaning into what it is that your family has always prayed for. Don't, don't be fearful of your friends or your family. Don't, don't be fearful of this crowd. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. May the love of God overtake you. Don't be prideful. You know, some of you are just sitting here going, man, but to do that is a declaration of my brokenness. Like a pride comes before the fall. Don't, don't sit there in your pride. Come in humility. Be identified with Jesus. Don't, don't worry about your plans. Some of you are sitting here going, man, I didn't plan on this. You know, I've, I've got lunch plans after this. I look terrible when my hair's wet. You know, like, uh, I don't want to tell people that. I, I didn't bring a change of clothes or I don't, I, I don't know. Listen, we have everything you need. We have clothes in every size imaginable. We have towels, we have dressing rooms, we have people that will pray for you. Don't let anything keep you from wrapping your arms around what Jesus has done. And it's a moment where in order for our faith to grow up, it has to move from the hidden places, into the public spaces. And it happens at times like this. So here in just a second, I'm gonna invite any of you to be baptized. We're not gonna have like any cool keyboard music. There's gonna be no like, like awesome altar call. I just wanna look you in the eyes and say, this is the most important decision you could ever make. And for some of you, it will be the most important decision you neglect. 
And I wanna challenge you to treat it with the gravity that it deserves. And to just say, if you believe that's who Jesus is, just, just come. There's gonna be some men and women up front that have red t-shirts on. I'll be up here by the baptistry. Come find us. If you're scared to come by yourself, grab your friends with you. We'll show you where the dressing rooms are. We'll answer any questions you have. We'll pray for you. And then we'll celebrate you. If you want somebody to baptize you, bring them with you. They can baptize you. We'll FaceTime in your parents, whatever you want. It'll be a great thing. And so just in a moment, I'm gonna have you stand. We're gonna pray and you come and be baptized. But please hear me clearly on this. Whether or not you're getting baptized, all of us have a choice as to whether or not we're gonna respond this morning. As you take communion, as you take the bread and as you take the cup, every week that is the renewal of our baptismal vows. It does holding onto the body and the blood of Jesus being reminded that we're still not scared to be identified with the risen Lord. And so as you go to communion, as you take the bread, as you take the cup, get in groups, pray with each other, share where it is that fear is still inhibit, inhibiting your former declaration of faith and ask God to set you free. Some of you need prayers. There'll be men and women up here. We'd love to pray over you. But it's just gonna be a big time of response. Baptism, prayer, communion, worship, let nothing keep you. Sound fun? Sound good? So that's what we're gonna do. Let's stand together. And uh, I'm gonna pray over us and then I'm gonna give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus. God, I just thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that you would love us so much that when we were condemned to hell, God, you came and you died and you raised, that you have forgiven us, that you love us, that you see us, that you're at work in us. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would move hearts this morning to respond however you would choose for us to respond. Send people to communion with a new sense of awe over who you are, God. Send people to their knees in prayer with a sense of hopefulness about the, the reality that you're a God who answers prayer. And God, would you bring people to the waters of baptism to wrap their arms around you, Jesus, and to declare that what you've done is sufficient. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts right now in the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. And together we say, amen.